So again, welcome to Renew and during this Advent season, and I just thank you for joining us, and it is great to worship the Lord, and not that it's not bad anytime, but it's especially great to worship Him during this Advent season as we prepare our hearts for Christ, to celebrate Christ's birth. So with that, we're going to continue on in our series, um, Encounters with Jesus, and uh, I'm going to read a scripture that probably you more associate with Good Friday and Easter, but hopefully it will connect. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 32 through 43. Luke 23, starting at verse 32, and it reads... Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, or Golgotha, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said, let him save himself If he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protests, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time and thank you for your word and thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you as a church family, Lord. We do pray for the other churches who worship you, and we pray for their services as well. And we thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins, but for first he came as a baby. So, Lord, as we look through your scripture, will you, through your spirit, prepare our hearts to receive what you have in store for us, Lord? We just thank you. Pray that whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, don't. We just thank you, and we praise your name. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. We have seen through these encounters, if you've been with us, we've been doing a series on encounters with Jesus, and really what we've seen, and the more and more as I have been studying through these encounters, I've started to appreciate perhaps even more the attributes of Christ, primarily that Christ cares, and he cares for our soul, for every single person in here and every single person in the world, for their soul, and he cares not only for their souls, which of course is why he's come, but he also cares for whatever situation that we're in during that encounter. Christ has not only come to save us for the future, for heaven, for paradise, but in our lives now. And I think sometimes it's difficult when we're in the thick of things to forget that God cares now, not just later. And hopefully we've seen 
that in the text as well through the scripture. And we have seen that when people have come up and shared their encounters. And I've greatly appreciated all of you who have come up front and those who've shared online and shared. So continue to do that through 2023 and beyond. But, and perhaps most importantly, at least for me, the encounters that we experience every day for Christ. Not just the encounters that we've experienced, the big and flashy ones, the ones we've come to Christ, or perhaps the ones when a near miss of an accident or something profound has come to us, but the encounters of every day of waking up and taking a breath. And now as we prepare for Christmas, what my hope is for the next two weeks, today and next week on Christmas Day, is that we will take a look at encounters with Jesus, specifically the last encounters before his death, Christ's death. And next week we will look at the initial encounter or the original encounter of Jesus' birth with the shepherds. Granted, I, I know there's a flaw in that, technically Mary and Joseph, but for all intents and purposes, let's say the shepherds. But here we are with the last encounter before Christ's death. And what I love about this encounter with the thief on the cross is that there's a reminder that there is always hope, even up until the last moment, the last breath. Side note, don't wait that long. But also, if we were to ever find ourselves at a loss in our identity, for those of you who are followers in Christ, I would suggest that there will be times in your life if you haven't already experienced it or perhaps you're experiencing it now, your loss of identity, of who you are. And perhaps this thief on the cross can help you and me point ourselves back if anyone has drifted away from Christ this morning. Or we look back over and think, I have to do more for him. This is a reminder that salvation has always been based on a relationship through Jesus Christ and not a religion. And don't get me wrong, I'm a pastor, and I get called lots of things, including a religious nut. But it's always based on a relationship with Christ. And what we've seen, and as I've been preparing this week for the thief on the cross, what I've noticed that ever since Cain and Abel, all the way back in the beginning with Cain and Abel, we have seen the contrast between being saved and working for salvation. If you want a theological phrase to put behind that, you can talk about substitutional atonement. Fancy. But really, honestly, the more that I looked at this, Cain rejected the thought that something else needed to be done for him or needed to be paid. He wanted to atone for his sins all on his own. He didn't like the fact that a little lamb, a sacrifice, substitution, atonement, something had to die for him. Really, essentially, what Cain was trying to do is work out his own forgiveness. Perhaps even you can call it create his own religion. Cain wanted to be accepted for what he could do and how hard he worked. Anybody in here ever suffer with that? Do you want to be known as a hard worker? And Abel, his brother, came with the blood of the lamb. He understood that someone else had to die to pay the price. And as John Stott and many others throughout history has pointed, this feud between brothers is not just between brothers. It's a clash between the world's religion, the true one in Christ, 
and us trying to receive acceptance and forgiveness of Christ, they're doing something. I mean, I can't just sit here, can I? And the answer is yes, but it's hard for us. So either the acceptance of forgiveness through Christ or something other than Christ, workspace or something other, but ultimately the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And here we have the story of two thieves on the cross, both just merely arm's length away from Christ, yet they responded differently. Two identical encounters, if you will, the thief on the right and the thief on the left, but with two very different results. So how did that happen? What happened? Why? Is all the questions. Um, Many people call it the bedside conversions. As a pastor, I've had the great privilege of being with people as they take their very last breath in this world. And even there's been a handful of time, not too many, where someone's accepted Christ at the very last minute. And I'm sweating bullets for them. And they say, yes, I accept Christ. And they take their last breath. And then, hallelujah. But at that last moment, and I believe some, if not all, at some point in our life, perhaps struggle with the question, did that person really accept Christ? Did he really? Did she really? Where's the proof? It's not fair, perhaps. You may not say that out loud, but. You mumble it. You mean so-and-so has been a fill-in-the-blank all of his or her life and now at the very last minute? What about all the bad he or she has done their entire life? They didn't even fill-in-the-blank. They didn't even get baptized. They didn't even go to a Bible study. They didn't read their Bible. They didn't join a church. They haven't even taken a new believer's course. What do you mean? So a couple of questions as we consider that. Why do we feel this way and why can we struggle? I think perhaps we only believe in partial grace and not full grace and it goes back to work. We want to see some proof. And perhaps for some of us, we're just worried, did they really say yes, they accepted Christ at that last minute? It sounded more like a moan. Are we sure? Because I really want to see them in heaven. I'm uncertain. I think perhaps if we're honest, the other thing why we may potentially struggle with that is people who have been believers for a long time may feel as if they are missing out on all of the fun they could have had if they were not believers. In short, let me say something. I wish I could do something for those. I wish I could have done some of those things that person has done. And I kid you not, as I mentioned, there's sometimes I've watched people take their last breath and even someone said, well, it's unfair. He was such an awful father and an awful man. Why does he get to go to heaven? Well, why does any one of us get to go to heaven? Because of Christ. Or, and perhaps finally, we compare ourselves a little bit, compare our service, and we think we get extra credit with Jesus. Now, as we consider these two criminals and their, and their encounter that they had with Christ, again, only arms part away, a length away. The only difference between is one was on the right and one was on the left, and That's it. There's nothing that separates or distinguishes these two men. They are both robbers and murderers. The text calls them thieves, but they're much more than thieves because a thief would have only had to pay a tax or an atonement uh, price or uh, pay back four times over if it was a big deal. But they've done more. They've ran in the same circles. They're thieves. By all accounts, they've done the same crime. There's a pastor in Philadelphia, Calvary Chapel pastor named Joe 
Fauci, and he says, I remember him sharing at a conference that I went to, and I think I quoted him right. He said, they both had the same resume, nothing. They have nothing to bring. They have zero credit. They don't even have dollars in their pocket. They're not even religious. There's nothing they have to offer Christ. And as we read Luke's account, and although we're not going systematically through the gospel of Luke this time, we're jumping around in the different gospels, if you've been with us, a goal of Luke is to make sure that the readers see that there are three crosses in the story. There's the cross of Christ, of course, but there are two other crosses. The center cross represents not only what Jesus did on the cross for us, but what we did as mankind to him. The middle cross represents the worst of humans, but the best of God. And the two other crosses represents all of humanity. Those who have accepted Christ and those who did not. And the man on the right who asked Christ to come into his kingdom. And then the other who stayed bitter and rejected Christ. The man on the right that we don't even know his name. Perhaps when we get to heaven and he greets us, we can ask him his name. But he recognized who Christ is. And what it takes for someone to believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And as we consider these two encounters, the man on the right and the left, we're going to take a walk through the verses we read and consider it. So let's take a look again at the first verse we read there on verse 32. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the Skull or Golgotha, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one to his right and one to his left. The Gospel of Mark interprets as the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 53, 12, and he was numbered with our transgressions between the thieves. And according to the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, respectively, both of these thieves at some point had mocked Christ. I think it's important. I try to consider that for a moment, Two guys are getting crucified with Christ, and the whole time they're making fun of Jesus. That's calling the, the pot, calling the kettle black. They're making fun of him because everyone else is making fun of him. All of the Roman soldiers are making fun of Christ, and yet here they're even making fun of him. And Isaiah tells us that Christ was beaten beyond recognition. It reminds us that we would hide our faces from him, from his face. And again, we call these thieves, we call them thieves or thief on the cross, but in short, the translation in Greek is evildoers, malefactors. They probably were part of Barabbas' gang. You remember when Pilate came out and said, do you want to release Jesus or do you want to release Barabbas? And everyone, Barabbas, Barabbas. These two thieves probably, it's assumed, were part of his gang. So the leader gets out and these two guys were bad people being crucified next to Christ. And Luke, the author of the gospel, of his gospel, he's the only one that includes the events between the thief and Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one who focuses on, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And also, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke is the only one who records that. I think it's important because Luke was hired to investigate Christ. So this is an account that he's writing and he's sitting there and he makes sure that he covers all of the detail. So at some point he was close enough to hear the words, but far enough not to be recognized. He's going around and hearing this testimony of other people and he writes it down. But as we continue on, let's take a look to see what, what happens. It says in verse 34, 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Now, I, I just want to focus on this for just a moment. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. You've probably heard that before. If you've been to a church, if you've been to any kind of service on forgiveness or an Easter service, perhaps a Christmas service like this. But one thing that stood out to me this time, this week in reading this, is the Greek tense on this suggests that Jesus had been repeating this over and over and over again during this whole time. So it's not a one-time deal where he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Again, the Greek tenses suggest that it was ongoing. So imagine, if you will, that Jesus this whole time as he's been beaten, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he finally gets onto the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's not just words that Jesus is speaking. It's not that he's just saying that over and over again. It's his demeanor. Both criminals, if their arms length away, would have both seen him. Christ, again, probably was beaten way more than they had been. His face is disfigured just to fulfill the prophecy, just as we have read. And can you imagine that? I, it's hard for me to imagine, and I know that we're in the Christmas season, and you're trying to say, well, where's baby Jesus? Let's hurry this up. Why are we going to April and March already? But the fact is, is that Christ came as a baby, knowing that one day this would happen to him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just repeating that over and over in his demeanor. Christ looking over at them. Repeatedly, every time someone did something, pulled out his beard, pulled, his, uh, pulled out the hair out of his head, pulled out the hair out of his beard, beat him, etc., etc. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And yet, this whole time, the people, as we have read three different times, they keep saying, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. Just quickly, if you look through, through that real quick, it just, uh, verse 35, the crowd watched and the leaders scoff. Have, uh, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself. Later on in verse 37, they called out, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 39, so you're the Messiah, are you prove it? By saving yourself repeatedly. And, and the great thing is, is Christ could have saved himself. But he didn't. All he kept saying is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So that demeanor, that, that, that look of Christ, it suggested that he was beaten so badly you wouldn't even want to look at him. And I don't mean to be harsh or anything, but sometimes when you see someone who's severely injured, I told a story a couple of weeks ago that my friend who slid on his face and hurt himself, he didn't want us to look at him, and we're like, well, we've seen your face, but it was hard to look at him, and it was continuing, it was, oh, as we continued to see him progress, it was hard to look at him. So, but the whole time, if you just have that picture, please forgive them. Forgive them. People, I, and even imagining the two thieves on the cross, I mean, at some point, they probably were yelling in agony themselves or yelling and cussing and crying and yelling. And yet Jesus' Father, forgive them. Forgive them. This is what happens to the person of Christ that we're going to celebrate in a week's time of him coming into a manger. 
And yet something clicks for one man and doesn't click for the other. I believe forgiveness is available to everyone and anyone. And it is through the work of Christ, through his word, through the spirit revealing his truth to us. But yet something clicked in his mind. So what happened? There was a stirring of his heart, this criminal. I can only imagine what it would have been like yelling and screaming as a criminal on the cross and then hearing again Christ forgive them. Thinking, wait, there's something different. There's something, what is going on? You know whenever the Holy Spirit convicts you and you don't want him to and you're like, go away, stop it, don't do it. Or you turn up the, has anyone ever turned up the radio really loud to pretend that you can't, you drowned out the Holy Spirit? Just me, huh? Okay. Or you ignore it or you say, you know what, Lord, I'll make you a deal. I'll pray about it. Let me pray about it. Jesus, me and you, we got it. And then the whole time, the Holy Spirit, do it. Come on. You're like, I'm praying. All right? I'm working it out. I got to make a plan. Here's my PowerPoint presentation. But here, I believe there's stirring of his heart in both these thieves. And one is saying, no, I'm mad. And the other one says, but there's something to this. So there's a stirring. And what we see is, is we see the stirring in the man on the right, the thief on the right, and he's probably running through his head all of the questions that hopefully all of us ask ourselves. I am a sinner. What is going on? Is this guy true? Is he real? And then he even confesses in a little bit, and we'll see, we don't even deserve, we deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. See, what's so interesting to me is this thief who accepts Christ. For all intents and purposes, has never seen Jesus perform a miracle. All he hears is Christ saying, Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And then all of a sudden we hear him, the thief on the right, say, Lord, kurios. Lord, more than the disciples, more than anyone at that point in history, I believe no one recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior except for the thief at that moment. He's the first one I see that's won over through, the Christ, through Christ's blood. He's heaven's trophy, the cross's trophy, whatever you want to call it. But consider this, all of the people in the audience, including, including the, the disciples, at least the majority of them had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. Let's just cover a few that we've gone over through the encounters through the last 12 weeks. People in the crowd who was denying Jesus, who wouldn't stand up and say, yes, I'm a follower, and we've already talked about Peter's denial. They've seen Jesus heal the blind man. Remember, we started off the series. They've seen Jesus heal the lady with the bleeding issue. People there would have seen Jesus heal the 10 men who suffered from leprosy. They would have been there when, when Jairus' daughter was brought back to life. Lazarus has been brought back to life himself. I mean, the demon-possessed man, what a story. Those people there would have seen Christ do these miracles, and yet this thief on, on the right-hand side, all he sees 
is a bloodied man saying, Father, forgive him. That is incredible. Because deep down inside, I want to see Christ do something great and marvelous again and again and again. I remember when I was much younger and still working out through my faith through high school and college a little bit, thinking, and perhaps you said this, Lord, if you do this, I promise. Lord, reveal yourself to me, and I promise. I need a, uh, If you're really there, God, then this is what you will do. And essentially what you're saying is, is I've blown it, but yet I want to, you know, help me out, Jesus. I want to see a miracle but if you remember, all miracles are pointing back to Christ, who's pointing back to the cross, who's pointing back to salvation. That's why John calls miracles a sign. And yet this man, the first believer in Christ, all he saw was a beaten, bloodied Christ saying, Father, forgive them. The disciples who left Christ, they all saw the miracles and much, much more. And yet this man, this thief on the cross, this, saw the man beaten, Never saw a miracle. Maybe rumors about him. But all he sees and hears is a man in Christ. Father, forgive them. And he sees, and the key here, one of the things that I underlined and wrote was he sees something beyond what his eyes tell him. And think, and think of this. Let, let's go back through this. Let's just quickly go through this. Verse 34 of Luke 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And he repeats this over and over again. And the soldiers gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah and the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're a king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above them with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, this is the man on the left, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too, while you're at it, he doesn't believe it, he just thinks it's a joke. In verse 40, but the other criminal protests, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? And here's his confession of sin. We, I, deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, Christ, hasn't done anything wrong. He recognized Christ. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus respond? You want me to what? No. I mean, think about how Jesus could have responded. Just moments ago, dude, you were laughing at me. You were mocking me. You joined the mob even while you were being crucified. And now at the very last minute, now you want me to what? No. Jesus doesn't say you've been awful your whole life. You haven't been baptized, you haven't joined a church, you haven't filled in the blanks. There's a reason that there's three crosses in this story. One for Christ our Savior, which we focus on, but the other two is how we need to respond and what happens if we don't. But consider this, 
Consider what Jesus says in verse 43. He says, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's the same word that connects back to in the beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve, heaven on earth. And what's interesting is this man, both of these men, they can't do anything. Their hands and feet are nailed. He can't offer anything. You notice he just asked Jesus. He recognizes that he's a sinner. He recognized that Jesus isn't a sinner. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't say, Jesus, if you let me into your kingdom, I promise I'll live my whole life for you. Dude, you got like 10 more minutes. He doesn't say, you know, if, if, if you uh, bring me into the kingdom, I promise that I'll sign up in the nursery and change diapers. Hallelujah. I mean, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord Jesus, if you let me in, I promise I'll read my Bible forever or I'll help the poor. He can't do any religious stuff. Again, I just imagine, Jesus, I give you my life, the rest of my life, all 10 minutes. They can't do anything. They can't offer Christ anything. And that, that's it. He believes, he confesses, and he believes in his heart. At the heart of the problem is the heart. And Jesus, he doesn't reproof him. He doesn't rebuke him. He says, today. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then later he says, and into, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the soldiers come and they check and Christ is already dead so they stab him on the side. But these two men, they break their legs with a mallet and then shortly thereafter they die. I like what D.L. Moody says when he, he talks about this passage. He says, the thief had nails through his hands so that he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot towards his salvation and yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him into paradise. I imagine the scenery, D.L. Moody describes it. Imagine the scenery. Christ dies before him and then shortly after he dies. And imagine the welcome in paradise, in heaven, when the thief gets there. Christ is there to welcome him. One, as D.L. Moody writes, one nail-pierced hand pulls another nail-pierced hand and hugs him. And he presents him to the Father, and he says, here's the first one. It's like the prodigal son. It's just like the prodigal son, where God the Father says, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Go kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. And yet that is what Christ will do for us when we get to heaven to consider it. But I appreciate what D.L. Moody says, and I'm going to read that again just because I need it to stick for me. It says, the thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. 
Christ threw him a passport and took him into paradise. This working out our salvation and going back and considering the question, thinking about those bedside conversions or the thief on the cross. This is what I use. I essentially walked you through what I do for a funeral service for someone who may or may not be a believer, someone that I do not know. And the first time that I did this and I was asked several years ago when I was a youth pastor, a, a girl in the youth group asked me if I would do her biological father's funeral, and she did not know him. All she knew is that he was the drug dealer in town. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then so I started asking questions. And this was one of the rougher funerals that I would do. And I know I've mentioned this before. Before, there's a difference between a celebration of life and a funeral. Celebration of life is to celebrate the life of someone who's given their life over to Christ. And a funeral is, but I don't know. And this is the text that I use to hope that that man who died, his name's Michael, who died, that at the very last moment he cried out to Christ. But I, I do not know. And as he, since he was the drug dealer of town, it was quite interesting to see the people who came to the funeral. And within this funeral, there were people who were high and loaded and a variety of different people with backgrounds. But there was one man who came up, and after that, as he was sharing, he said this. He said, for the last 20 years, 20 years prior, I shared a needle and a spoon with you. And now I want to share Christ with you. The man was transformed, his life. No, I don't know what happened. I would like to say that everyone came to Christ. I do not know. I do not even know if Michael accepted Christ at the very last moment. But all I know is that don't wait for the last moment if you don't know Christ. And don't assume that bedside conversions or last-minute conversions don't count. They count. But to consider this, just as D.O. Moody said, his hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. He did not do anything religious for Christ, except in his heart he believed. Finally, I, I appreciate what Alistair Begg says, and I know I've told this story. He said, imagine the scene when the man on the, the thief on the cross shows up to heaven, and the angels go to interview him and say, well, how'd you get here? Well, I don't know. He said, well, what is your understanding of the word of God? Well, I don't know. And, and what's your doxology on what's a doxology? And tell me, what, part, what temple, synagogue have you been a part of? Well, I, I, I don't know. So then the other angel goes and gets his supervisor angel, and he's going through his list, and he said, it looks like you got in for the last minute. How'd you do it? And the man says, I don't know, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. That's it. Now, for those of you who are believers in Christ this morning and thinking, well, you got to repent and you got to, yeah, do that then. But start with, in your heart, believe. That's what Paul talks about. In your heart, confess and believe that he's the Messiah. So as you just consider that and um, 
Sometimes I'm awkward with transition. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> but as you're considering just where you, you are at with the Lord this morning as you're running around trying to get last-minute gifts and stressing about how your house looks or how many Christmas lights are up or that one that's burnt out and every time you drive home, that's the only one that you see. <laughs> it's not what it's about. It's about the celebration of our Lord, his birth, and the reason he came is to save us. So with that, I would like to invite Darren to come and share his encounter. Let's welcome him. Well, I have really enjoyed these encounters up until about 30 seconds ago, <laughs> but I'm up here, so we'll do it. Um, these encounters have been a blessing. Um, this whole series, both hearing the encounters from Dallas that are in the scriptures and then hearing your encounters that you have with Jesus, it's been really cool to um, be able to hear those and, and just be encouraged how the Lord is working in each of our lives. So uh, my encounter, um, this goes a few weeks back now, um, maybe not as recent as Dallas wants, but this is a, several weeks ago. Um, I was uh, having a conversation with a friend, and a mutual friend came up. And so we were talking about him, and he's close, close, more closely connected than I am. And so I was saying, you know, how's he doing? And um, this is a, a man, a former employee of mine that has a, <clears throat> a long history of substance abuse and just a lot of issues. And so he was, my friend was saying, he's doing all right, but not great. Um, he said, I just heard that he's uh, lost his Bible. So I'm like, okay. And he said, would you be willing to just take a Bible to him and give him a Bible? And I said, yeah, that's something I can do. That's not a big deal, right? And so I, he said, there's a special study Bible that he likes. And so I ordered that Bible, and it came, and I uh, had a list of errands that I need to do in town, and, and uh, he's at a home that's not, not necessarily a fun place to go, a fun place to visit. And um, so I planned my day, and I was going to run these errands, and so that I had the Bible with me. Uh, driving around, doing stuff, and I went there, and there was a, a uh, ambulance sitting out in front, some construction going on, and I'm just like, wow, this is obviously not a good time. So I took a little post-it note, wrote a, wrote a nice note on the Bible, um, stuck it on there, dropped it off at the front counter, got back in my truck, checked it off my little to-do, uh, list and said that's uh, that's that's handled that's done and so I went on my way um, felt good about it it's like did my thing did what I was supposed to do um, this was on a Tuesday I think and then on Thursday morning we were at the men's study and we were going through First Thessalonians and First Thessalonians two eight um, Paul talking to the Thessalonians. Is that how you say that? The uh, Thessalonians, whatever it is. Um, but 
that verse uh, says, I'll paraphrase it just a little bit, but it says, we not only um, shared the good news with you, but we also shared life with you, shared our life with you. So I was convicted. I was just like, okay, drop the Bible off, but that probably doesn't cover the base very well. So I had the opportunity to go back and spend some time there, and um, I was blessed by that. And he had given the Bible away, which is fine. Um, I've since ordered one with, and it's supposed to come in on Tuesday, actually, ordered one with his name on it. And, <laughs> and then I also ordered some other Bibles that I'm going to give him a few, and, and we'll see how that goes. So hopefully he can share those with his little community there in the home. Um, so this... Uh, Encounter for me was just a great reminder that it's not always about just checking something off the list, doing it quickly and conveniently. Um, a lot of times as we interact with each other, my life is a mess a lot of times, and all of ours are, and so it's not always convenient or easy or um, clean or tidy to interact with other people, but that's, that's what we're called to do. So... That's my encounter. Thank you, Darren. And just as we close, I don't want to forget the other encounter with the other thief. The other thief said no. He said no. But all of us can say yes. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we've had. Thank you for the encounters that we have ongoing with you each and every day. The fact that you've uh, woke us up this morning. You gave us breath in our lungs, Lord, and ears to hear. Thank you for your spirit that guides us, Lord. We are so thankful that we do not have to earn salvation that it is a free gift. And I know that many of us, if not all of us, struggle with that at times. And yet our response for those who are not nailed to the cross is to love you and love others as you've commanded us to do. And help us do that not, not out of guilt or obligation or to earn anything, Lord, but simply for the fact that we have no other response for our gratitude and thankfulness of our salvation than to love you and serve you. Lord, as we prepare to welcome in you, the celebration of your son's birth, we don't want to move beyond that, the fact that, as we were reminded in Philippians, that you came down to us to save us. And we're thankful but yet you, you were here for a purpose, Lord. So Lord, I pray for anyone in here who does not have that relationship with you that today could be the day. I pray for anyone in here that uh, has that relationship with you but feel like they've backslidden or walked away or just not, not been good, Lord. And, and as Darren reminded us, not, not a checklist thing, but just a life thing, a heart thing, Lord. And it is the heart of the matter. You came to save us, so... Lord, will you speak to that person that, that maybe spent some time away from you in shame?
There's no shame in the cross. You bore that for us, Lord. You just want us to come to you. So that's what we want to do. So Lord, as we prepare to sing more songs to you and celebrate who you are, we just praise you. We thank you. We're excited for this Advent season as we eagerly anticipate the waiting of your birth. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.